Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Welcome to Turning Point. Do you have to wait until you die to know whether or not you're saved? Or is it possible to know for certain right now? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers that question and shares the first of five proofs that confirm you're a Christian. As he begins the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here's David to introduce his message, How Can I Be Sure of My Salvation? Well, thank you for joining us for the beginning broadcast in the month of May. I'm really excited about what we're going to do this month because I think it goes right to the heart of where a lot of people are. You know, um, we all of us have questions uh, about the Bible, questions about our faith, questions about things that happen. And sometimes it's hard to get answers to those questions. We've decided to take uh, 10 questions people have asked, and this is a result of mail and call-ins and personal encounters with people. And uh, we did a message on every one of these questions to provide answers that will really speak to the issue you're dealing with. And here's better news than all of it. We have a book that has all of this information in it. It's called 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. Let God Turn Your Question Marks into Exclamation Points. This is a Turning Point book. You can't get this uh, anyplace else but here at Turning Point. And all of these messages with all the details, all the support information, all the footnotes is in this 230-page book. It's a hardback book, and it's our resource for the month of May. Wouldn't you like to have this in your library so that when these things come up, uh, you can go and kind of review what the Bible has to say about them? Surely you've had these questions asked and some of them have been your own questions. So here's what you do. If you haven't worked with us before on our resource program, all you need to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. We do ask you to do it the best you can. Do the best gift you can give. Be generous and, and send your gift. But whatever size the gift, ask for this book, and you'll have it on yourself to help you going forward in your faith. It's one of the ways we can add value to your Christian walk, and we're so grateful for the opportunity. Well, I'm anxious to get started with this first question. How can I be sure of my salvation? Albert Einstein, the great physician and physicist who was honored by Time Magazine as the man of the century, was once traveling from Princeton on a train 
when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets for all the passengers. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket, but he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in his other pocket, and it wasn't there either. So he looked in his briefcase, and he couldn't find it. And then he looked in the seat by him, and he couldn't find it. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are, and I'm sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets, and he's about ready to move to the next car. He turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. And the conductor rushed back to him, and he said, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) As we get older, we appreciate that story more and more. (laughs) But you know, there's so many people that come to our churches and they don't know where they're going. They hope they know. They think they know. They suppose they know, but they don't know. One of the most often asked questions by people who write to us at the radio and television ministry is, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I be sure that I really am a Christian and that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven? Most of the people who ask this question are church people, people who've grown up in the church, as many of us have. They've been in the church all of their lives, and perhaps they had a faith experience when they were a child. And over the years, doubts have crept into their hearts, and they've begun to question the reality of their salvation. Perhaps during their Christian experience, they've allowed some sin to take root in their life, and now they doubt if they ever were saved in the first place. Oftentimes, We can experience doubts about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when we're going through a time of trial. Can I get a witness? And for many with whom I have spoken, the cause of their lack of assurance stems from some false teaching that they have heard on the radio or on television, or maybe they've read a book. Others question their salvation because they're not sure they prayed the right prayer in the right way. And some people tell me they're not sure they're saved because they can't remember the exact date when it happened. My friend Tony Evans has written a book on salvation, and in his book he writes that a great spiritual malady permeates the church of Jesus Christ today. If I were to give it a name, I would call it ADD, Assurance Deficit Disorder. (laughs) And when you have ADD, it is almost impossible to live the Christian life. I mean, if you don't know you're saved, you have a hard time praying. If you don't know you're saved, you're never going to witness. Why would you tell somebody else about something you're not even sure about yourself? If you're not saved, sermons make you feel worse. If you're not sure you're saved, they make you feel worse rather than better. And worship makes you feel empty and peace. Instead of passing your understanding, passes you right by. (laughs) And the interesting thing is that God wants us to know that we're saved. One author I read put it this way. If a governor pardons a death row criminal, he will tell him. He will not force the condemned man to wait until his neck is in the noose to inform him he is pardoned. And likewise, God pardons us and adopts us into his family. 
and he does not want to hide our new status from us until the moment we stand quivering before him, wondering if a trap door over hell is about to open beneath our feet. He wants us to know that we have been pardoned. Listen to these verses from the book of Hebrews. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. God wants you and he wants me to have a no-so salvation. Figuratively speaking, he does not want you to be a question mark, all bent over in doubt with your head hung low. Rather, he wants you to be an exclamation mark, standing straight with your head held high, strengthened by a God-produced confidence in your faith in him. That's why God's word tells us that we should make assurance of our faith a goal and purpose in our Christian experience. Listen to these words from Peter. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. The importance of knowing what you believe and being sure of your relationship with Jesus Christ is dealt with in many places in the New Testament. But there's one place where you will find it in a concentrated manner. The Apostle John writes about it more than any other New Testament author. Now, as you know, John is the author of five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, two of his five books deal specifically with salvation. The Gospel and the first letter. At the end of 1st John... We read these words in chapter 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The first key word in 1 John 5, 13 is the word know. John writes in order that you might know that you have eternal life. He does not say, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope or guess or speculate or wish that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. He wants you to be certain of your relationship to him. He wants you to know no ifs, ands, or buts that if you are a genuine believer in Christ, you have eternal life. He wants you to know that. In a very uncharacteristic manner, at the end of John's gospel and at the end of his epistle, the author at the end of the book tells us why he wrote it. We've already learned from 1 John that he wrote 1 John so that we may know. But if you go to the end of the gospel of John, you read these words. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Interesting, there are some scholars who believe that when John's gospel circulated through the churches, that first John traveled with it. The gospel of John was written that readers might believe, and first John was written that they might know 
And so they traveled together. They would read about how to become a Christian, and then they would read about how to know they were a Christian. One writer that I read said, the greatest thing in all the world is to be saved. And the second is closely related. It's to be absolutely sure that you're saved. So as we look at John's first epistle, I want to set the stage with a connection to his gospel. And I think this is pretty amazing. It, you know, I get excited about the way the Bible's put together and the structure. And it's kind of like, you know, God's leaving breadcrumbs for us all the time, you know. You're trying to find something out, and then you realize he's left these little breadcrumbs for you to follow. And when you start following them, you just get so excited if you do what I do. In the Gospel of John, in the third chapter, we have the first ever reference to being born again. Jesus was with Nicodemus. Do you remember that in John chapter 3? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you can't have the kingdom of heaven. Born again. Sometimes it said born from above, but really born again. That's where we got the term. First time, John chapter 3. Well, when you come to the first epistle of John, you all of a sudden discover that that little phrase, born, is in the text over and over and over again. But most of the time, it's born of God or begotten of God. In John's gospel, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't go to heaven unless you're born again. And in John's epistle, 1 John, John describes what a person is like who is born of God. And he tells us, if you want to know that you've been born again or you've been born of God, here are some birthmarks that you should observe. And I'm going to give you five of them today. In 1 John, there are five, and there are probably more, but I've chosen the five most prominent ones. There are five evidences that a person is a Christian. And these five things are meant to help you know that you are a Christian. Now, I want to tell you something before I go too much further. This is a sword that has two edges. One edge of the sword is going to really make those of you who have gotten caught up in some silliness about the fact that you're not saved because somebody told you, but you have the evidence in your life, you're going to be assured of your salvation. But some of you who've been playing this game and posturing and all of that, this sword's going to cut you because this is going to tell you whether you're really a Christian or not. Some people today are going to listen to this message and they're going to say, wow, I know that I'm a Christian. Some of you are going to say, wait. Maybe I better do a little more homework on this thing and make sure that I'm a Christian. The first birthmark of a real Christian is found in 1 John 5, 1. Let me read the verse and underline the words, born of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves him who begot also loves him who's begotten of him. Here's the first evidence that you are born again. You have made a confession in your heart that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. John says that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he is the promised Messiah and that he's the Savior, you fail the first test. You're not born again. You can't be born again and not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Now, you may not understand it all. 
You may have not figured all the details out, but if you just come right out and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus is God, you can't be a Christian like that. There's no such creature as a Christian who doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Here it is in the text. If you want to know for sure that you're a Christian, ask yourself, have you confessed in your heart and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world? And if you don't believe that, I mean, that's okay, but don't go around telling everybody you're a Christian because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, you can't be a Christian. Today in our culture, there are so many people who are claiming to be Christians who do not believe that Jesus is God. They think he's a God among many. Oh, I'm a Christian mainly, but I also, I dabble from this, Jesus is this. And No, 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 no. Christianity is an exclusive way of life. And John, when he wrote this epistle, anticipated that people would not get this right. In the fourth chapter, he wrote these words. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Listen, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. What part of that don't we get? Now let me add one more passage to your notes and to your hearts. John 3.36 puts it this way. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. If you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. You can be sure of it. Jesus did not die vainly, but victoriously. And when he died, you know what he said? He said, it is finished. He paid the full price. That means he has finished the work of saving every person, including you, if you just believe in him. So let me ask you this question. You're trying to find out if you're a Christian. Maybe you think you're a Christian because you were born in a Christian family. I was born in a pastor's family. I should get a pass all the way to heaven. <laughs> you know, I've said this before, but you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. You don't get to be a Christian because your parents are Christians. You can only be a Christian if you have personally made a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Only if you put your trust in him individually can you be a Christian. You don't become a Christian because you come to church. You can't become a Christian because you come to church every week. I'm glad you come. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Whether it's a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church or a Methodist church, you don't become a Christian by going to church. You can go to church every single day of your life and not be a Christian. Because the Bible says that a Christian is somebody who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be and puts their trust in him for eternity. The confession birthmark. In the Bible, we have the promise that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are saved. And it doesn't matter whether we feel like it or not, we are. How many of you have ever gotten up in the morning and you don't feel saved? <laughs> My goodness, all of us have. Who is it that said our bodies and our souls live so close together they catch each other's diseases? So when you feel bad physically, you have a tendency to feel bad spiritually, don't you? But it doesn't make any difference how you feel 
There's an old adage that I have in my Bible someplace. It goes like this. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God said if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. The Philippian jailer was asking the question, what shall I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's it. Here's the second one. This we'll call the birthmark of change. In 1 John 2.29, we read these words. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. There's that expression again, born of him. Now let me add a couple of other passages to support this truth. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. 1 John 3.10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Eight times in the book of 1 John, there's a little expression that goes like this. If we say, and John uses that in his teaching of this book, and it goes like this. If we say we are something, if we say we are followers of God and we don't love our brothers, we lie and do not do the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If someone says, I love God, hates his brother, what John is saying is that Christianity is not just a bunch of words, but if you become a Christian, there will be changes that take place in your life. What John is saying is that if we say we are Christians, we need to behave like Christians. And he's not saying we need to be sinlessly perfect. He's telling us that we need to have a difference in the way we live. In other words, if you can become a Christian and nothing in your life changes, that's a danger point. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. If we say that we are saved and nothing has changed, something is wrong. Well, you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, that sounds like you're preaching a salvation by good works. No, I'm not. Cannot be saved by good works. And that's everywhere present in the New Testament. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul said it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Watch this. Not of works lest any man should boast. You can't be saved by works, but listen to the rest of it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are not saved by doing good works, but if you are saved, you will demonstrate your salvation by the works that you do. You got that? Writing to Titus, he said it in a different way. Listen to this. It's so powerful. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, that through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Then watch this. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Good works is a part of the ultimate Christian experience. It's not before your conversion It's after your conversion. And what John is saying here in 1 John is simply this. Do you want to be sure that you've been born again? Take the belief test. What do you believe? And then take the behavior test. Has my life changed as the result of my believing? 
That doesn't mean you became a saint overnight. It doesn't mean you stopped everything you were doing that wasn't right. I mean, some people teach that the moment you're saved, everything that you ever did that's wrong comes to a complete end. That's not possible. There's a growing process where God gets more and more in control of our life as we walk. What I'm saying to you men and women is this. Ask yourself, did you make a decision to trust Christ? Yes. Are you living any differently because of it? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? It might be kind of convicting to some of you who are listening. Because really, if you say you're a Christian and it hasn't made any difference in your life, you're probably not. The Bible says when you become a Christian, old things pass away and all things become new. Not just sometimes, not just most of the time, but all the time. So I guess you could say if you're a Christian and nothing's passed away that was old and nothing started that was new about you as a person, you should go back to the drawing board, go back to the Bible, and ask yourself some serious questions. But you know what? If you're like most people I meet, you can look back and say, you know, when I accepted Christ, this happened, this happened. They may not be big things, but there are evidences in your life that Jesus Christ is now sitting on the throne in your heart. We'll have more of this tomorrow. Uh, We're studying 1 John 5.13, and the question is, how can I be sure of my salvation? We have a beautiful book that contains all the material you're listening to on the radio. And uh, this book is kind of unique because the study guide is bound into each chapter. You won't need a special study guide to go with the book. When you get the book, at the end of each chapter, there are questions for you to ask and answer and places for you to fill in the blanks. So you get kind of a, a double blessing when you get the book. Here's what you need to do. Send your gift to Turning Point during the month of May and simply say, I'd love to have the book, 10 questions, and we'll send it to you. It will have the study guide inside of it. You'll have everything you need to do your own personal study on these important questions. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. This definition of diplomacy seems very practical. 
Diplomacy is the art of keeping your shirt on while getting something off your chest. In other words, when emotions get out of control, any attempt at genuine communication can be lost. Two biblical principles of communication support this definition of diplomacy. First, the New Testament says to speak the truth in love. And second, do not let your anger or any other emotion cross the line and become sinful or self-serving. When truth is presented with love and tenderness, and when we are more concerned about the other person than ourselves, we have a good chance at success. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to communicate on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.